0: The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Well, good morning, Heritage. How are you all doing this morning? Good, good. Hey, a couple of quick announcements before we get going. For those of you who don't know, I'm Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at Heritage. And uh, thanks, guys. Uh, It's good to be loved. It's better than the boo audiences I normally get, so this is (laughs) perfect. Um, So a couple of quick announcements. We've been telling you that this is coming, and we want to just kind of keep it out in front of you and make sure that you're aware of uh, of some things that are coming up at Heritage that are changing. Here in October, uh, starting October 2nd, we are going from one service to two services. There will be a 9 o'clock service, and then there will be an 11 o'clock service. So you've got a little bit of a buffer, of a, of a, of, for those of you who are parents, adjusting to like school being back in and everything else. But then after that, we're going right back to uh, more changes. All right, good. Uh, so again, the, the, uh, the heart in that is that, as you can see, Heritage has grown. In, in the five years that I've been here, um, there have been so many changes with our church. Um, Matter of fact, this right here, this used to be like green plasticky carpet underneath of us. That curtain right there was always dropped and all the people sat forward of that. And usually, you know, the the chairs still had food from the kids' lunch and, you know, all this stuff. But slowly over time, God has blessed our fellowship. We've got uh, incredible seating for for people to be comfortable while they listen to my two-hour sermons and... Um, you know, we're very, very blessed and fortunate, but as things has, have grown, one of the things that's been a core part of the DNA of heritage is the closeness of being able to know each other, to be involved in each other's lives, to love one another, and to do the things that the Bible requires of us, to be involved in all the one-anothers of Scripture, right? Right? So we have to find ways to make what God has increased, what God has blessed and made big to make it small again so we can continue in that same heart because we believe that is the will of God. So that's, that's our, our heart in this and, and understanding also that our kids' wing is at capacity and there's you know, some faithful servants who are sweating it out even right now with like 40 kids in a classroom is, uh, is an incredible burden upon them and we want to make sure that we care for those folks as well. Amen? So two services starting up October 7th at 9-11. Um, also, uh, as you were coming in this morning, I hope that you got one of these papers right here. Um, if you didn't, make sure you grab one and, and take a look at it. This is a list of our needs. With increased services and, uh, and the times that we're meeting also comes an increased need for volunteers, for people who are willing to serve Jesus in whatever capacity uh, they might feel led. So, uh, there are handouts on a table in the, in the foyer to answer questions. And also, uh, you're able to sign up there for any, any of you who feel prompted by the Lord, even right now, as the Holy Spirit is moving. And you are listening, and you're saying, God, here I am, send me, with that heart, as God prompts you, you can visit the table. Um, the needs, guys, are great. They really are. Uh, we, we realistically, to, to perfectly satisfy the needs of this church, we need, we need about another hundred people volunteering at our church. That, that's a pretty massive task. Um, and so we're asking you to partner with us to really pray and consider, Lord, how might you be wanting to use me in a different capacity more than just attending services or being a part of what's going on here, how can I begin to come with a heart to serve others? So um, make sure that you you hit that list up and, and you pray through that and seek the Lord. Also, Wednesday night services and Awana start September 7th. September 7th. So next week, we're back on with Wednesday night services. Awana is kicking off for kids, and so that's a wonderful, uh, fresh season for us. We've taken a, a hiatus from Wednesday nights for the summer, but now we're kicking it back up, and uh, we're going to be doing a Bible overview series that I'm really excited about. One teaching, one book of the Bible. Let's sum it all up and understand what's there and, and get a feel for the whole or the panorama, the whole of Scripture um, Uh, as a piece uh fourthly now this one is is kind of informal but formal Uh, carol hale uh, this last weekend went home to be with jesus Uh, a wonderful saint who's been a part of our church since before i got here and uh, so we want to we want to both lift up the family but also just because of the timing and everything else Uh, We've been asked to put out just a short announcement saying that her services will be held uh, Monday at 10 a.m. at Conger Morris in Central Point. So if you know the Hale family and would like to be involved in that, there's an open invitation to our church. Uh, Lastly, but certainly not least, there is a small little housekeeping issue, and that is afterwards everybody is really good about grabbing chairs and, and helping out. But we want to leave this front section here set up because we need to keep 400 chairs set up at the end of service. So for for you guys up front, you're off the hook. You're the elect. You're the ones that God has chosen. Uh, so uh, you, you in the back, though, please feel free to grab your chair and stack it up so that the guys can take it. Um, there is one other housekeeping item that I, I, I uh, want to be able to share with you this morning. Uh, as you know... Uh, Pastor Jeff has been very, uh, I think, open and transparent in ways uh, that sometimes, you know, uh, people are like a little freaked out by (laughs) because he talks about his weakness. He talks about um, his vulnerability as a man. Uh, But in the recent weeks, as you guys have heard, uh, Jeff has been sharing about his wrestling with anxiety and just his struggle. He hasn't been able to get sleep. A whole lot lately um, there's a major adjustment going on in their home with um, the addition of Bentley who they've adopted from the state into their household and so that's a significant change for their family and in the midst of it all on top of running um, the church and you know uh, if you've ever been around Jeff for more than 45 minutes you know he gets about like 45,000 texts an hour <laughs> right and so his relational capacity is, is really high, much, much higher than I am. Um, and, and he's always trying to keep on top of things, but he, guys, he's just, he's flat out exhausted. And we, we have seen this as a, a board, and, uh, and so the board of directors has pulled Jeff aside and said, Hey, bud, we love you, and we're afraid for you in the future if you don't take a season to get some rest. And it's our heart, our desire to protect you. And it's really our job as the board of of directors to protect um, our shepherd in that way, to create space. And so we've given Jeff a 30-day sabbatical um, to ensure that he can kind of hit the reset button, give attention to his family, turn off his text message, put an autoresponder on his emails, and, and really just slow life down. Once again, uh, to to care for his own heart, to care for his own soul, and to care for his family. Now, um, for those of you who know Jeff, you know, he's worried, of course, that people will see this as just another fishing vacation or, you know, oh, I see, that's how it is with the senior pastor, you know, he takes all this time off and goes off and and does all this stuff. Um, And and so he wrote a letter that I'm going to read to you. He said this, uh, Dear Heritage Family, Uh, I used to laugh at sabbaticals. That's just a fancy word for vacation, right? I always looked at them as almost silly, some traditional church thing that old school pastors do when they don't feel like preaching for a while. I would never ask for a sabbatical. Uh, Besides, why would I want to? There's nothing that I love more than being with you all my church family, preaching and teaching the Word of God to you. This is truly no place that I'd rather be. There, there is no place that I'd rather be. So it's very difficult for me to consider being away for a month uh, when the Heritage... Being away for a month when the Heritage Board uh, approached me this week with the idea of a 30-day sabbatical. When times are hard or stressful, I'd rather just kind of grind it out. But what I cannot deny any longer is that the Lord has graciously brought me to a place where He is calling me simply to rest in Him. The Lord has shown me What I've preached to you all many times, self-effort is exhausting, but in the gospel is peace and rest. And as much as my prideful flesh hates to admit I need rest, I don't mean naps or sleep, I mean I need rest in him. And so I'm thankful and lucky to have a group of men like the men on this board who care enough about me and my family to pay attention to my heart and shepherd us the way that they have. Few churches operate this way and few pastors have this kind of support. So as difficult as it is for me to do, I'm following the counsel of my elders and will be spending the next month away from the office and the pulpit, and instead spending this time with my wife and children and pursuing the type of refreshment and revival that only Jesus Christ can provide. I will be spending a great amount of time reading the word, praying, and intentionally seeking wisdom and counsel from others. I'm confident that the Lord is doing a great work in my family and in me, and I'm excited trusting that god will bring me back from this time with fresh vision energy love and a desire to serve my family my church and my lord to a greater degree than i ever have i appreciate your prayers for me and my family the lord is doing great things in our home and i ask that you pray and support the men who will be filling in during the sabbatical whom i trust that god has ordained to speak amazing truths to you as they preach in my stead but know this I love you all dearly, I really do, more than you realize, and I cannot wait to be back with you all soon. May God bless you all, by his grace and for his glory, Jeff Hensley. So that is our pastor's heart, and um, I, I, I want to just take this moment right here before we start. Can we, can we just pray for our pastor? Can we just lift him up, uh, this man that we love and, and we look to? Father, Father, um, You have given us a man after your own heart, a man of your word. And we know at the same time, Lord, as wonderful as Jeff is, that he is merely a man. We know, God, that the pressures of life and the pressures of ministry and the way that his own personality works at this time have brought him to a place of just being weary, And so, God, we ask for refreshing from the Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would renew and revive those places of his heart where he has grown tired. That you would refresh their home in the season of rest. That he and Bronwyn would have specific and special time to draw close to one another and, and, uh, and to just share life as a family, Lord, not a ministry family under pressure. God, we pray that you would encourage and strengthen them through your word, and that even now, Lord, as they are worshiping, no doubt, together and fellowshipping together, God, would you bind their hearts to yours? Give them fresh perspective on how they can hold down the needs of their home and serve you with the busyness of ministry, what things they can hand off. Lord, help them to trim away anything that is impeding upon your will. In their lives, God, give them a, just a total reset, Lord, as a family. God bless them. We ask this because we love them, Lord, and we know that nobody loves them more than you. That you might be glorified. In the precious name of Jesus, amen, amen. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to 2 Peter chapter 1. While you're turning there, um, if you are here this morning and you, you, you don't have a Bible and you need one, stick your hand up real, real high. And We've got some guys that love to give you a Bible and it, it's yours to keep if you don't have one. If you just need to borrow one, no problem. Uh, just go ahead and put your hand up. While you guys are turning there, let's pray one more time. God, uh, we come to your word this morning in submission to it. We recognize, Lord, that the wisdom of men and the logic that man produces is often tainted by our sinful nature. And so apart from you revealing to us truth, Lord, we have no guide. And so, Lord, we come this morning with hearts that are open to you, with a desire to follow you. God, would you instruct us from your word? Would you teach us Would you shape us this morning? Give us an ear for your voice, Lord, and a heart to act in obedience. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, in the month, while Jeff is gone, we are going to be starting a, a sort of series. Jeff will pick up Philippians when he returns and um and continue to teach through that book and we're going to take sort of a little segue for this season and and do a four-part teaching that i think is going to be pretty profound and informative for us all so uh this new topic that we have chosen to take up during this season is is the subject of hearing from god now there's many ways in which God speaks, and, um, and this will by no means be exhaustive as a study, uh, especially in four weeks. I think uh, four weeks is barely enough time to kind of scratch the surface on a topic so big as this. Uh, but we've tried to kind of narrow down, if you will, the ways that God speaks to his church into four basic categories. So for the next four weeks... Uh, the teachings will follow this format. Week one, that's this week right now. Hearing God, God and His Word. Week two will be hearing God, God and the indwelling Spirit. Week three will be God and circumstance. And week four, God and His people. God speaking through His people. So as you may or may not know, we, we are considered at Heritage a charismatic church. Now, oftentimes when we hear that word charismatic, immediately we think, uh, okay, so does that mean we can bring our flags now? Uh, do you hand out tambourines at the door? Uh, it, will there be interpretive dance? Like, how how's this going to work? Uh, Charismatic simply believes that we we, uh, hold to an understanding that the work of the Holy Spirit is continuing even today, that the same way that God worked in the scriptures and in the apostles and in his people throughout history, he is currently working in the same fashion. We are continuationists. Now, having stated that, we we gladly adopt a very popular phrase that's been said over and over, but I think it it fits so well, and that is, we're charismatic, but we're charismatic with a (laughs) seatbelt, okay? (laughs) For some of us, maybe charismatic with a five-point harness, right? Right? Because we realize that God absolutely does amazing things. He still does miracles. He still speaks by the Holy Spirit. He still um, utters through people prophetic words and understandings. Those are all things that are very much in play in the body of Christ. We also understand that those are the exception to everyday life and not the rule to everyday life. So, simply stated, this means that we believe in the continuing work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. We believe that God still speaks to his people. We believe that he often does this in a variety of ways and is not bound in doing only what is predictable. We trust that even today, even at this very moment, God will be speaking in a variety of ways to the people who are presently here. That is that what you walk out the door with may not be what the person next to you walked out the door with because the Holy Spirit is at work applying His Word to our hearts differently. So we believe that God is living and active and among His people Now, having said all that, we also believe that though there often is mystery in hearing from God, there are sort of guardrails that keep us from really diving off into error and diving off into either a a rejection of God's voice that says, man, that's a little bit too mystical. It's a little bit too crazy to think about God interacting. I prefer a God who's distant. And so what he said is all that he needs to say. And and so I, I'm just going to steer away from any sort of, you know, Holy Spirit mumbo-jumbo and, and just stay over here on this nice, safe category where, uh, where God doesn't do anything new, okay? Or falling off the rails the other way, right, which is like, God is doing so much, you wouldn't believe um, the things that God is telling me on a daily basis, that God is speaking to me all the time, and, and, you know, now we have to stand on our head, and, um, you know, I, I've, I've been instructed by the Lord that my husband is going to die, and, and you know, I'm going to marry this nice godly man, and, you know, people seriously, on on that end of things, they take the word of God and the the interaction, the relationship with God to a, a whole other level where they accuse God of saying things that God never really said. So there are guardrails that keep us from either a rejection of God's voice because it's too fantastic to believe God, and to believe that he speaks to individual people. And going off into experiential craziness that leads us into following our own passions rather than God. And our hope and our goal in, then, in this then is to talk through some of the ways in which God speaks to his people and gain a little bit better of an understanding of how that might work out. So let's take a look at our passage for today as we consider how God speaks through his words. 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 16. Just a little precursor here so that you can kind of understand context of where we're at. This is Peter's final writing that we have recorded. Matter of fact, in verse 14, he tells the people he's writing to in this letter, um, he says, I know that the putting off of my body... Will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. In other words, Peter realizes that he's going to die soon. God has, in some way, spoken to him and made that clear to him that he's going to die soon. So now think about this. This letter then comes to us in the context of Peter's final words to people that he loves. I mean, what would you say? I mean, let's just say for a moment uh, that the Lord spoke to you that you were going to die within the next 24 hours. What things are left to be said? What things are most important to you? What, what stands out that you would say, uh, if Jeremy gave me five minutes up here on the stage to address the church here, and I knew that I had 24 hours, and, and then I was going to die, and I would stand before Jesus, what would you say? What's on his mind? Well, Peter here spent his final words talking to the church about the reality of the gospel and just how sure it really is. He wanted them to know that the things that we know about God aren't just stories or philosophies or fables intended to teach moral lessons. He wanted us to know that it's history, that it's real. So let's follow follow what he says here. Verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For when I received or when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart knowing this first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the holy spirit so so peter here he says a couple of things verse 16 he says we don't follow fables we follow fact. We saw him. We, we traveled with him. like we, we were homeless with Jesus. We ate food that we cooked over a campfire. We shared meals. Sometimes we would hang out and just kind of all be linging, lounging around each other like meerkats. And, and, and I would lay down and put my head on his chest. I mean, that's the kind of experience we had with Jesus. This is not just some fable that I came up with. This is not some philosophy about life that, you know, if you believe this, and it will lead to good behavior in this way. This, this is not what we're talking about. These are not myths or old legends. I'm telling you, I saw him. I touched him. I ate with him. We supped with one another. We don't follow fables. We follow facts. We saw who Jesus is in person. And then he says, verse 17, we saw through Jesus, who Jesus is through a particular circumstance. And he references a moment that is recorded for us in the Gospels in Matthew 17. In Matthew 17, Jesus takes his disciples up a hill. He takes three of them in particular up to the top of this mountain where Jesus is praying. Now, Jesus was quite the prayer warrior. He loved to talk to his father. He spent his time in fellowship with his father. And, and the disciples, you know, they could hang for like a little bit. But then, you know, eventually, often like us, right? You're like, I'm going to pray for 30 minutes. And it's like five minutes of prayer and 25 minutes of snoring, right? <laughs> if you're like me. Well, Jesus, man, he, he would really press in to loving and talking to the Lord. And, and the disciples, they couldn't really hang with that. You know, they, they'd be good for a little bit, and then pretty soon they would doze off, and they and fall asleep, and all of a sudden, um, in the middle of the night, I can only imagine that the light is what wakes them up. They're like, oh, is it, is, is it morning time? Right? They're, they're kind of cocked out, and then... There's something bright, and it's shining over there. And they look over, and and it's not the sun. It's Jesus. And he's glowing. He's, like, radioactive on the top of this mountain. And he's there, and and all of a sudden, two heavenly figures show up with him. And somehow, these guys know that these heavenly figures that are there are, are Moses and Elijah, the historical figures of the Bible right? These two men are present, and they're standing next to Jesus. Well, Peter, in that moment, the author of this book, isn't quite sure what to say. So again, being much like me, when you don't know what to say, you just say something stupid, because that's the best solution, right? So Peter, he's like, oh, oh I love camping up here. This is, We should stay, right? You're glowing. Um, how about I'll make a tent for you and a tent for your buddies and we'll just kind of hang out here for a while. Finally, it gets so stupid that God the Father speaks up. He's like, Peter, shut up. <laughs> Listen. This right here is my beloved son. I want you to listen to him. Now, here was the mistake that Peter made. Peter elevated these historical biblical figures, right? And he's like, okay, so we've got Jesus, my prophet of the current day, of the current age, and he's like really cool and awesome, and then my superhero you know, action figure fantasy since I was a little boy. Like, I like wanted to be Moses. I wanted to be Elijah. Those guys are here and they're on the same level with Jesus. And, and God says, no, 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 no. You don't get this. Um, Jesus is not here to visit them. They're here to visit him. He is the main attraction. So you, don't elevate those men. You look at my son. You listen to him. You be focused on what he has said. And, 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 they, and here in 1 in, in Peter, he says, we saw Jesus in that moment like we had never seen him before. You know what's really interesting? In the moment, he's like really focused on the fact that Moses and Elijah are there. But when he writes about it here, he doesn't even mention them. They don't even come up in this passage. He's like, we saw Jesus in that moment. We saw him more clearly than we ever have. Matter of fact, it's been called the greatest miracle of all time and a pause in it. That is, the greatest miracle of all time is that God concealed His glory inside of human flesh in His Son. And for a moment, He hit the pause button on concealing it, and that glory broke out. And Peter says, man, in that moment, we saw Him as He is. We saw who Jesus is through this particular circumstance. And we saw who Jesus is, verse 17 through the personal voice of God, the voice came out of the cloud. Right? And we heard with our ears the voice of God saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. We we saw Jesus through this circumstance. We we heard who jesus is we we saw who he is when the voice of god confirmed that we saw who jesus is through people moses and elijah were there to see jesus and we knew the importance of jesus because if if moses is there to see jesus and if elijah is there to see jesus then jesus must be very very important so we saw the importance of christ through these men But then he concludes this by saying essentially this, but even more powerfully than all those experiences, more powerfully than through the personal voice of God, more powerfully than through our heroes and through these men we look up to, we have come to know Jesus and who he is through his word. Notice what he says here at the end. I saw that. I saw Jesus up on the mountain. He was glowing. We, we, we heard the voice. We saw Moses and Elijah in verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke From God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the more sure word that we have is not even that circumstance. As fantastic as it was to see Jesus go radioactive, as fantastic as it was to see Moses and Elijah and to hear the audible voice of God, you want to hear something even more concrete than that, Peter would say? We have the word how could i I, think about that for just a moment i mean isn't there a part of you that argues with that right now i mean isn't there something in your heart that goes uh, uh i don't know if that's true i think i would be more persuaded not by what god has already said in his word but by a glowing jesus a couple of really cool biblical action heroes and um and the voice of god coming down i think that would convince me more than 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 these words right here he says no now we have something even more sure than that experience. You know how that works in your heart? Like uh, the nature of something like really cool happening. Um, like I can remember, for example, the first time that I ever rode a roller coaster. It was on my honeymoon uh, and we went down to uh, Disneyland. It was the first time I'd ever been on a roller coaster. And I know all of you were saying, oh, you poor thing. Uh... You had to wait that long. Well, I got married when I was 11, so uh, <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, I, we went down to Disneyland for our honeymoon, and we did like all the theme parks in Southern California. It was really cool. And you know, I had heard, if you will, all the stories about you know how awesome those places are. But when you're there and you're screaming your guts out, right? When you're when you're at Um, you know six flags and you're in the the low part of that loop and you try to raise your hands and scream and all that comes out is right you're like wow this is incredible now as fun as that was and 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 hearing the stories i thought man it really lived up to this expectation but when i walked away it's like things get fuzzy Right? I can remember moments, I can remember bits and pieces of the experience, but it almost goes into sort of a dreamlike memory. And the surety of those things begins to fade just a little. Maybe you've experienced that if if you've traveled at all and gone to different places in the world. You think, this is so awesome. And you're there, you're on white sand beaches and blue lagoons and you just see like this incredible environment. You're like, oh, wow. And then you come back and it's life is normal and the memory of that fades and the way that that impacts your day-to-day life or the awe of who God is begins to diminish and fade. So Peter here, he says, listen, we got something better than experiences. We have the continuing, ongoing encouragement of the word of God that is speaking to us about his presence in our lives, that is encouraging us that God is with us, that he knows us, that he loves us. So how does that work? How does God show us who he is and give us greater confirmation of his speaking through his word? Well, Peter tells us. The scriptures did not come to us, through a person's private and personal understanding of God and his nature. Rather, God was sovereignly behind everything that was being recorded. And he was doing it for us. Scripture didn't come to us through human effort to write something divine. It came supernaturally, naturally, through people who were moved by God. Now, the Apostle Paul also kind of hints at this idea in 2 Timothy 3.16 when he says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. That, that is that God, in some way, is the ultimate force behind the recording of the Scriptures for us. Now, theologians have, have made an effort to, to try and like categorize how is it that God speaks to us? Like, how, how does he do that? And they, um, they've really come up with two categories that I think are are, are really important for us to understand. The first one is general revelation. General revelation, or how God reveals himself. So um, the idea here is that that God desires to be known. He desires to be heard. But how does, does someone that is created, that is finite, distinct, other than God, Come to know, to interact with, that which is infinite and creator and stands outside of time and space. Invisible, immovable, so big that the Bible says that he flicked the stars into existence. And so small that he knows the number of hairs on our head and whether or not a sparrow falls how do we know a god like that how does god make himself known how does god reveal himself well we know that god often reveals himself in general ways this is called general revelation how god reveals himself this is one category general revelation for those of you who are taking notes so these are things like creation that is anybody on any place in the planet, can go out and they can sit on the edge of a hillside overlooking a valley or a vast ocean. They can, they can go out and see a beautiful sunset and they're absolutely awed by what they see. And they go, man, uh, if there's a God, He must be big. <laughs> Look at the colors in the sky over there. If there's a God and this is His work and His ideal, then He must be Artistic, creative. He must, from his innermost being, produce beauty. Things that are beautiful. They, they can see the rain that comes down and, and supplies water for their crops. And they go, man, you know, uh, that's not something we had to put in place. If there is a God up there somewhere, he must be benevolent. He must be a caretaker for this world because he's put systems in place that allow it to, to be nurtured and cared for. So we can see God through creation. We can see God through common graces and that there's, a, there's enough on this earth to supply all that we have need of. Now, mankind of, oftentimes mucks that up, but everything that we need to live is here. It's provided for us from the perfect mixture of gases of oxygen and nitrogen and carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide and argon, all in the atmosphere. Those are perfectly balanced to support life here. Held in and captive on this earth for us, the systems, the water that goes up into the atmosphere and comes down on the ground, the, the way that plants recycle used up air and produce oxygen so that we can breathe. All of this interwoven system demonstrates then the care and provision of God. And we can know general things about God through observing creation or through observing common graces, things that God has provided for all men everywhere, whether they believe in Him or not. Or through the conscience. That is the part of you that says there is a right and wrong. You should do this or not do this. If there is a God, DNA doesn't explain conscience. Heredity doesn't explain conscience why we determine that there is a right and wrong we can see his hand generally through history but then there are special ways in which god reveals himself as well he doesn't just reveal himself in general ways he reveals himself in very specific ways special revelation then refers to the fact that god has and does reveal himself to specific persons at specific moments now christians have always believed that god is real that he's personal that he's relational And so we know that our relational God, then, wants to be known personally. Not just a general understanding of if there is a God, what he must be like, but also that he wants us to actually know his personhood, to be known intimately. So again, theologians help us out here by giving us another category, which is special revelation. For those of you who are taking notes, special revelation includes things like miracles, prophecy, which can really be two categories. Prophecy can either be foretelling future events, therefore validating that God knew ahead of time what would happen, or foretelling of God's heart. That is, this is how God feels about this situation, and I want to communicate it to you. Okay, so the foretelling of God's heart. Thirdly, He he speaks specially, specifically through His Son, uniquely, in a way that He doesn't through anything else. We get the best image of who God is through His Son, through the Incarnation. And fourthly, certainly not last or least, He speaks through Scripture. Now, God may choose to speak to us and reveal His heart through something miraculous. He may choose to speak prophetically through other people. He most definitely has taught us about his character and his heart through the incarnation of Jesus. But the majority of what we know about God and his heart comes not from those circumstances, but comes from his words recorded for us in Scripture. So Scripture, then, is God speaking his truth to us In human words. You know, the the word Bible comes from the Greek word for for book. And when we see the cover, Holy Bible, it it means that this right here is a holy book. Now, though both God and man wrote the Bible, it was not co-authored. It wasn't like, Man contributed a little bit and then God contributed. God's like, hey, I like that idea. Yeah, let's go with that. It wasn't co-authored. It's not a collaboration. It wasn't a dictation. It wasn't like, you know, some monk is in his room. He's got the feather pen quill thing and he's sitting at a desk and all of a sudden his eyes roll back in the back of his head and, you know, he's like, you know, he just starts writing. It wasn't like that. It wasn't a writing that became divine. That is, it was written down, and then afterwards we go, hey, that's pretty holy. And it's not a collection of religious insights. Rather, the Bible was written by men who were providentially prepared by God, and they were motivated to write by the Holy Spirit. And they spoke, or they wrote, according to their own personalities, according to their own circumstances, And yet, they wrote in such a way that their words are in fact the very thing that God wishes to communicate to his people. They are the very words of God. In theological terms, this is called divine inspiration. It means that the writings themselves have the quality of being breathed out by God himself. It's not the authors or the process that are inspired, but the writings themselves are divinely orchestrated by God in concert with people writing about their own circumstances through their own personality. Now the belief that God wrote scripture in concert with human authors whom he inspired to record his words is called verbal plenary inspiration. So I know I'm throwing a lot of terms at you, Hang with me. I promise I'm going to wrap this all up in a nice little package for you. Verbal, plenary, inspiration. In those three words, let's, let's break them down. First one, verbal. The very words of the Bible. Okay? Plenary. Every part of the Bible. The whole of the Bible. Okay? Inspiration. Is God-breathed? What that means, then, is that we believe as Christians... That every word in the scriptures, that every part of the scriptures, has been divinely orchestrated by God to tell us something. To teach us something. Now, having said that, so we've got definitions. We've got a, a cloud of definitions that, we, that we're holding over here. Okay, so Peter's talking about inspiration. Um... Inspiration is this big subject about the whole of the Bible and how it all comes together and that God is trying ultimately to reveal himself, to communicate to mankind through man's words. Okay? I haven't said that. Peter, in this passage, is highlighting for us what theologians call the doctrine of inspiration. To simplify, let's think about what Peter is saying about the inspired word of God. So pick it up, verse 19, take a look at it. And we have the prophetic word... Fully confirmed to us. In the King James, you, you you might see it. It says, we have a more sure word. When it talks about confirmation here. It's saying, this is bedrock. This is solid. In other words, the word that God has given to us, the scriptures that God has given to us, are foundational. They're concrete. They're more than just experience. Also, verse 19, he says... To which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. In other words, it's illuminating. It's illuminating. When things are dark and we don't know what God is doing, the scriptures give us that foundation to shed light on our situations. To illuminate for us the heart of God, the character of God, the things that he's doing. Thirdly, it's objective. Verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture ever comes from someone's own interpretation. It's objective. That is, the Scriptures don't say what we want them to say. The Scriptures say what God wants them to say. And that is a huge distinct, and we'll, we'll dig on that in just a second. And fourthly, it's divine. It's foundational, it's illuminating, it's objective, and it's divine ultimately, God is the one who orchestrated it. So here's what we can take away from that. As Peter is talking about his circumstance, the things that he saw there on the mountain, the, 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 the incredible thing that happened there. And he goes on to say, you know, that was all well and good, but we have something even more concrete than that. We have the scriptures, Okay. And he's encouraging Christians, like, you don't need to see the glowing Jesus to trust him, to believe, to hear from him. You need the scriptures. It's more concrete than that. So God does speak through the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit. God does speak through circumstance. God does speak through people. However, each of those things is very subjective. And often it is hard to discern what is God and what is just really incredible circumstance. And therein lies the rub for us, doesn't it? Isn't it? Um, as, as people, we're trying to, like, I want to be connected to God. I want to hear from him. How do I hear God's voice? And so we, we lean on things that, that oftentimes are very experiential. An internal sense of unction. Now, sometimes that can be us, and sometimes it can be the Holy Spirit. We rely on on people that we look up to. You tell me, what do you think God is doing? We rely on circumstance. Well, this looks like this, and I'm going to call that an open door, and that a closed door, and it seems like this is what God is doing, and we're looking at circumstance. And in each of these subjective Pursuits to hear and understand God, it is often hard for us to figure out what is a closed door, what is an open door, what is the voice of God, what is my own heart, what is a circumstance that God is leading through, and what is just life happening. So, talking about the indwelling spirit, I have to say this God does speak through the voice of the indwelling spirit, but how do we know which is which? Well, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us how to tell which is which. You ready? Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing. Now check this out. To the division of the soul and the spirit. Of joints and of marrow. And discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. In other words. Okay. Sometimes God will speak to me. And, and, and it's something that I feel like. Maybe this is the Lord speaking to my heart. Okay. And it's the Holy Spirit talking to me and i go okay but but is that is that me or is that is that the holy spirit is that my own internal dialogue i can remember actually when i was a teenager one time my my mother um and my dad were having a, a conversation with some friends about the lord in uh the living room and uh i was so frustrated i was in rebellion against the lord and christianity seemed stupid to me and uh so i come into the living room and i just had enough of like religious garble right and, uh, and so I say to my mom, I'm like, you know, you guys talk about God being personal and wanting to talk to us and everything, you know, and he, he appeared in a, Mos- in, in a burning bush to Moses, but God's never talked to me. Like, I, I've, I've never seen, like, the clouds rip apart and him stick his head through and go, hey, Jeremy, I'm real. And, and, and if he wants me to be saved, if he loves me that much, don't you think he would do that? And I'm like, I got them, <laughs> right? I got him. And my mom looks at me and she says, uh, Jeremy, so when you are connected to God through the gospel, where does God go to live? And I knew the Bible study, the, the classic Sunday school answer, you know, he comes to live in your heart. And so I answered, yeah, well, he, he comes to live in your heart. And then she says, well, then where do you expect his voice to come from? Shut me right up. Yeah, God speaks through the indwelling Spirit, but how do I know when it is God and when it's not? Well, the, the Scriptures help me to know that. The Scriptures put guardrails on what is God and what isn't. If it's in alignment with what God has already revealed, the Scriptures will confirm that. If all of a sudden God is leading me to rob a bank, I could say it's probably not God. If God is leading me to leave my husband and my, or leave my wife, it's a good chance that apart from some special circumstances like adultery and other things that God is actually not wanting you to do that, that's your own heart. So God does speak through the indwelling spirit, but it is the word that helps us to know when it is God and when it is us. It is the word that helps us to discern the thoughts and the intentions of the heart to know what comes from our own soul and to know what comes from the spirit of God. God often does speak through circumstance. But how do we know when it's something from God and life, when life is just happening? Well, again, the Bible tells us that there are times that God leads through circumstance. And there are also times when he isn't. So we should judge those things very carefully. There's times like Joseph's life where God is leading Joseph to this place. And the whole time Joseph's, he's probably looking up in prison going, there's no way that God is working here. There's no way that God is guiding and that God is leading. But when he's sitting there as king, he can look back and he go, oh, God really was in control. He really was leading. And then there's other times where we go, Uh, Was God really leading in that? For example, in the Gospels, there's a a modern news story from Jesus' day about this tower that was being built, the Tower of Siloam that fell over on people. And some people were questioning Jesus, like, was this God's judgment? Or, you know, what was really going on? Was God really angry at all those people? And he says, hey, you know, um, were these guys any worse sinners than anybody else? In other words, this wasn't the judgment of God on those particular people that got killed by the tower falling over. This is just a life circumstance that happened. Okay? Now, the Bible tells us that both things can happen. So we're supposed to keep our eyes on Jesus and offer then our circumstance to God in relationship. We go, okay, Lord, I don't know what you might be doing, but I'm here and my eyes are on you and I'm listening. And I want to be led by you informed by the scriptures. Yes, God does speak through people. We've often witnessed, though, that people can be led astray by others who claim to speak on behalf of God. We do know, uh, or how do we know, excuse me, when a person represents God? How do we know when God is speaking through people? Well, again, guys, the Bible tells us. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. Let me read it to you. You don't have to turn there. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 21. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not s- despise prophecies, people speaking on behalf of God. But, he says, now check this out. This is the important part. But test everything. <laughs> And hold fast to that which is good. In other words, when somebody claims to speak on behalf of God, you go, okay, let me see if I can back that up in the Scriptures. You test it. You check it out. In other words, this is what I'm saying. The Bible is the highest court of authority for the believer. The Bible is uniquely and solely God's completely trustworthy revelation to us. This means that for Christians and for their leaders... The Bible has the final say. It is the standard by which all other alleged revelations from God or about God are to be tested. The Bible is how God primarily and perfectly speaks to his people. Now, I want to warn you of a couple of errors and I've got just like a couple of minutes to do this. So I'm going to burn through these fast. If you're a note taker, take notes quickly. First of all, I want to highlight some errors in hearing God through His Word, ways that we should be cautious of. The first thing I want to say is that there is a need for submission to God's Word. There's a need for submission. In other words, if I approach the Scriptures, and I say, I want it to tell me something, I'm going to struggle. Because I will read into the Scriptures what I want it to say. There's a real danger in wanting God to say something, or to say something that He hasn't said. And and all of a sudden, and there is a sort of current in Christian culture that treats the Scriptures like a Ouija board. That is, I, I oh, okay, I need a word from the Lord. I need to hear God's voice, and so they open up the Bible and they you know flip through here and they're like, okay, um, it says here. Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated sin in the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? And they go, okay, so then that is connected to blaspheming. And, and they start to try and put all these pieces together and form some sort of hidden Bible code that will somehow lead them personally. Now, before we all, you know, laugh and poo-poo that, honestly, that's, that's how I grew up in the Lord. When I first got saved... That was my understanding of how to hear from God. And so I, you know, I moved out to Cave Junction because of a word from the Lord. I got married to who I got married to for, because of a word from the Lord. And there I am in Cave Junction. I'm seven, eight years into ministry. And I feel like God is prompting me that we're going to move to Bend. And in the midst of that, I'm like, okay, well, um, you know, I need some sort of confirmation. And I read this scripture, uh, or my wife reads this scripture in Deuteronomy about... The mother eagle kicking the the baby eaglet out of its nest, right? And burying it on its on the mother's wings. And so I'm like, okay, well, maybe God's kicking us out of the nest of Cave Junction. And we're going to go to Ben. So let's go spy out the land, I said. We drive over to Ben. We get there and we're driving through and we're praying. And like, God, lead us. We need to know whether or not this is your heart, your will. We, we come up to a road that is Neph Road. True story. Neff Road. I'm like... Check it out. My wife is going, let's just take it. Let's see where it leads. So we're driving through all these little neighborhoods and subdivisions, and it dead ends at this brand new subdivision being put in, and the new subdivision is called Eagle's Landing. You guys laugh, but this breaks my heart. (laughs) Okay? Okay? And I'm like, what are the chances of this? This is the Lord. I believe it with every part of my being. This is God moving us. And so I went back to our church. And I said, guys, I don't know what God is going to do or how he's going to do it. But I'm telling you. And I told our church. I made an announcement to our church. God is moving us out. And I shared that story with them. And about Three days later, a guy calls me from Calvary Chapel, David Rosales' church. And he says, hey, you know, Calvary Chapel has this rule about not planting churches right next to each other. You're from the same sort of tribe and family. I'm wondering, is there space in Cave Junction? And I'm like, brother, I'm moving from Cave Junction. This is a perfect fit. You should just take over our church. So we meet with him. and, and, And guys, for two years... I'm on hold, and nothing materializes. Nothing ever materializes. Nothing. The guy gets here, he moves there with his family, starts up a separate church, because my elders won't approve it, and we live by, you know, complete unanimity, so we have to be united. Everybody votes the same. And, and, and by the time it's said and done, guys, um, I am at a crisis in my faith, and I'll tell you why. Because in the middle of that, this is the way I've always heard from God. And if this is not the way that God speaks to me, then have I ever heard from God? This is how I got married. This is how I planted a church in Cave Junction. And if, and if I didn't hear his voice right, then, then either A, God lied to me, and that can't be true. I know that's not true. Or B, I've never heard his voice. And if I've never heard his voice, what the heck am I doing? Why am I here? And I began to work backwards from that, and I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm literally laying next to my bed and wife, or, or lay, laying next to my wife in bed, sobbing because I, I feel like I'm losing my faith. I read the scriptures through a lens of what I wanted. I wanted to see that. And it led me to a place, guys, where I felt like God had to rip me down to the foundations and say, What do you really know about me? And you know where I went? I went back to His Word. I thought it was the leading of the Holy Spirit, I thought it was the the reading of the Scriptures and the confirmation of His people. I thought it was all these things. But God brought me back to the truth of His Word. What do you know about me? What do you know to be true? He ripped me down to the foundations. Guys, it was so healthy for me. We need to be submitted to God's word, not in authority over it. I don't go to God for a word from Him so that I can hear what I want. Otherwise, I edit. You know what I do? I I pass up all the cursings and I receive all the blessings. I go, okay, God said, I'm going to judge this, I'm going to judge this, but I really love you here. I'm like, oh, I love that. I really love you part. We edit the scriptures. Second thing, we need illumination. The intellectual and spiritual parts of man have to come under the illuminating influence of the Holy Spirit in order to be able to receive the revelation from God. We need the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit to transform us and make us able to know God in a personal way. We believe that God pursues each man on the planet to this end, and, we, and he wants us to know him. And so we turn to God with his word, and this leads to the third point where we need to be careful. We need to be submitted to God's word. There is a need for illumination, and there is a need for, lastly, personal interaction. When we come to the word, we say, okay, your word says something that it says. I don't try and make it say what I want it to say. It says something specific to that audience in that time, but out of that I can pull application. I can apply those principles to my life. How do I do that? Well, I do that through personal interaction. Say, God, your word says this, and I know it wasn't written to me, but I see that this is true, that you work in this way. So, God, I'm coming to you. You wrote to the Corinthians in that moment about this specific thing, but now, God, I'm coming to you because I'm in a similar situation like the Corinthians. And I need you to guide and to lead and to speak into my life to just take the scriptures only on the basis of fact and never, never bring application is a massive failure. But to only be focused on application and not rightly interpret the scriptures will lead you into error just as easily. And so we rightly divide the word of truth and then we take that truth to God and we say, God, now show me what to do with the truth in my life. Amen. He is creator, and upon receiving this information, man can harden his own heart in stubbornness, or he may choose instead to know God in a personal way, and not to harden his heart. And that's why Hebrews warns us, when we open up the scriptures, when we see the things that God has said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. When you come to God's word, let it change you. Don't be like the guy that James talks about. He wakes up, he sees himself in a mirror, he, he looks at himself, and he's like, oh man, I got like, you know, drool this way and my hair's like slimy in this way and I got eye boogers and, you know, I, oh well, and then walks away and does nothing. He says, no, listen. When you see the word of God and what it says, let it change you. Surrender to it. Let it have an effect. Be the man who sees himself in a mirror, in the perfect law of God, and says, God, your will be done. Would you pray with me? Lord, take your word now. We've done our best to uh, rightly understand what it is that Peter is saying here we realize the tremendous gift that we have in the scriptures and that you you say things that you mean to say now god would you give us hearts that are open to you hearts that are ready to apply what you've taught us lord we are not gnostics who believe only in information we are christians who believe in the risen and living god The power of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, lead your people in the name of Jesus.